Jargon is everywhere in edtech these days. Just ask those companies whose products promise to blend the personalized longitudinal student asynchronous intervention platform. Ooh, and nowhere is jargon more of an issue than in blended learning. But what if we could break through the buzzwords and get through the definitions to what matters? Action. That's what our guest this week is hoping will happen. Back at our Davis Summit in August, we sat down with Michael Horn of the Clayton Christensen Institute. Michael discussed with us his definition of blended learning, the impact that he hopes his new book will have, and why teacher autonomy is so important for the success of blended learning. That plus our roundup of this week's news coming up. I'm Betsy Corcoran. And I'm Michael Winters. Let's get started. There are plenty of powerful questions in education, and here's one. Who is shaping public education, and how will students learn? Those questions came up this week when we heard the official announcement that Facebook is working with Summit Public Schools to build out a personalized learning platform. Betsy, didn't we read about that in EdSurge like late last year, like nine months ago or so? You're good, Michael. (laughs) Yes, our colleague Christina Quattrochi has been following this work, which actually began in 2014. Facebook provides the engineers, and Summit educators have established the teaching model. Well, this week, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg himself wrote a post about it, too, and basically shared news that they really are doing this. What he said, building software that will enable personalized learning for all children is a new and exciting challenge for Facebook, and we can't do it alone. So here are the questions we have. Will Facebook and others have the patience to remain committed to their investments in education? Will they have the discipline to let the educators lead in the development of these tools? We are going to be staying on this story, and we hope you'll join the debate at edsurge.com. After seven years and $105 million in financing, New York-based Newton has finally opened up its adaptive learning platform to teachers and students. Newton says the free platform has over 100,000 pieces of content and multiple choice questions for K-12 students. Any teacher can create classes on the platform, and Newton will serve the content best adapted for each student's needs. Regarding the product, Newton's CEO Jose Ferreira recently told Wired Magazine, this robot tutor can essentially read your mind. Boy, with 100,000 questions, it's really a good thing that that, someone can read your mind. (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't too long ago that the word literacy just meant reading the printed word. Nowadays, students need to be able to understand and interact with an ever-evolving array of digital media, and teachers need to teach them how to do it. Kay DeVere and Paul France, educators from Alt School in San Francisco, offer fellow teachers three tips for how to prepare students for this new media landscape. First one, make sure your students can mindfully digest new media, decoding the audience context and motive, just like a piece of traditional literature. Is it possible that a school's complex and expensive data systems could be replaced by Google Sheets and some clever formulas? Chris Aviles, the Education Systems Coordinator for Fairhaven School District in New Jersey, says yes. Chris shares the system that he developed while he was an English teacher. Use a Google form as your exit ticket and combine it with a Google Sheet as a grading and feedback database, and voila, you've got yourself a robust student tracking system. And the best part? Chris shares his materials for anyone to take a look and make improvements. 
nice. So I bet you're tired of waiting until class is over to catch up with your colleagues in the break room. MJ Linane, a high school teacher in Old Rochester Regional School in Massachusetts, breaks down the pros and the cons behind the most popular communications tools. And that would include Twitter and Google Hangouts. And in the end, one reigns supreme, Slack. No other tool offers the same ease of signing up and high level of engagement with privacy that's required for staff discussion. Everybody loves Slack these days. Uh, we're slacking it like crazy here. Yes, we are. Uh-huh. All right, and now it's time for kachings. <laughs> DC-based innovation fund 1776 has closed a $12.5 million seed round. The organization plans to use the money to invest in pre-Series A companies in education, as well as health, energy, transportation, and smart cities. That sounds cool. 1776 has already invested in six edtech startups. Also this week, Reuters reported that Hotchalk is in talks to raise at least $75 million. Hotchalk works with universities and companies to create and manage online course degrees. If the deal closes, it will give the company a valuation between $500 and $800 million. Congratulations to both of them and to all of the other companies who raised money this week. Michael Horn has been a powerful force in shaping the changes going on in education over the past decade. Officially, he's executive director of the Clayton Christensen Institute. He's also an author. His first book, which he wrote with Harvard professor Clayton Christensen, got everyone talking about disrupting class. In his newest book, Blended, he elaborates on the different approaches we can take to learning using technology to support what we want to achieve. And here's a secret. He's actually an awesome jazz piano player. Michael sat down a couple weeks ago with our colleague Mary Jo Matta during our California summit to share some of his insights. One spoiler alert, though, we couldn't get him to do a piano riff. So it's been about six, eight months since you published your blended book. What's the response been like from readers, from critics, from just the world? Yeah, I've been surprised. I think it's actually outsold Disrupting Class at this stage in its life cycle. And which was the first book Which was the first wrote. book that I wrote mm-hmm. um, with Clay Christensen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think this one is much more focused to help educators themselves on the ground. Disrupting class is sort of 50,000 feet. This is maybe 5,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And it's to really give people a design guide um, for how to tackle this work. And so we're seeing a lot of study groups pop up in different districts, uh, taking the book as their uh, departure point and figure out, okay, how do we actually get into this world? How do we design a blended environment? So I'm hearing really good things. Um, it's not been quite like my experience with Disrupting Class where we had lots of reviews of the book. And so uh, I think I'm somewhat sheltered probably from negative opinions <laughs> as a result. Sure. Um, you know, the, the one review I saw uh, that was negative said it, there weren't enough buzzwords in the book. Mm. Um, they wanted more one-to-one talk and stuff like that. Which They is, wanted more buzzwords? Yeah, apparently. They wanted more. Um, they said we didn't, we, we showed that we weren't, you know, fully, they didn't say it that way. That we, but I think we, we try not to use jargon in our writing, mm. right? And um Although I may do it when I speak, um, I, I try not to do it in the writing and edit it out. And so I think sometimes people say, oh, that means he's less out in the ed space or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've noticed in the blended world, that the jargon kind of keeps people from actually explaining exactly what they mean? Or... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think, you, you, you know, even when we have different people, like eminent people like Esther and Richard up on stage with me, as we just did here at the Ed Surge event in California, uh, we you see everyone has a different definition of blended learning. Mm -hmm. I think what we've been trying to do is 
push out our definition, say this is the definition, just let's all agree on that. And now let's actually talk about what matters, mm-hmm. which is what we do with this. And it's not so much... Uh, the right definition per se is like, let's all agree this is reasonable. This is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When I see rocket ship here and I see your flipped classroom here, it's all blended learning. Now what? And, and I think that's right. This, the buzzword mango in education really does get in the way sometimes of people actually uh, communicating with each other what they actually mean and then making it toward the action step, right? Because personalized and blended and competency-based and individualized, all these things sort of get conflated. And mm-hmm. it's not the point, right? We're just trying to have a common language so we can move forward for students. Well, we hear definitions of blended learning all the time at EdSurge. Yes. You know, everybody seems to have some sort of different definition explanation. What do you think is the craziest, most ridiculous definition of blended learning you've heard? <laughs> the craziest one I've ever heard? Oh, boy. Um, I, You know, uh, I, I think when you, when you talk about... Uh, Actually, I'll, I'll tell you, there have been some schools that are basically virtual learning schools, and mm. they've said we're blended learning. The ones that are online. They're fully online. Like, mm. you don't go anywhere, right? You're at your home, and you're learning online, and they say we're blended learning. And you're like, really? Well, they're distributing offline materials as part of that, because, you know, you occasionally work offline when you're online. Um, and I think that's a very higher ed mentality, right? That that meant blended learning if not all the content was online. Mm-hmm. But in K through 12, it's like such a meaningless um, distinction. So I think that's one of the crazier ones we've we've seen. And what what would you say based on all your experiences? I assume that your definition probably changes every year. But what is your de- current definition of blended learning? Yeah, we've at tried this to point? We've, we've tried to keep it constant the last few years okay. um, and lock it in. And, and I don't think we're going to try to move it again. Um, current definition is it's a formal education program. Students learning at least in part through online learning, where they have some element of control over the time, place, path, pace of learning. So let's simplify it, online learning. Second part is it's got to be at least in part in a supervised brick and mortar location away from home. Mm -hmm. That's a school with teachers. We use that jargon because, or the bigger definition, because you actually see some really interesting blended learning environments in shopping malls of of, um, in, in shopping mall centers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not a school building. And mm-hmm. so we thought it was important to use the high-level, um, more generic terms. And then the last part is that the modalities along each student's learning path in a subject or course have to be connected somehow. Mm-hmm. So what you do online has to relate to do with, with, with what you're doing online. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that definition important? Because we get to some of these conferences and like you have schools that are all doing blended learning. Anyone who went in there would say, yeah, there's some online learning occurring. It's in schools. Things are somehow connected. The teacher's doing a good job of that. Uh, And then they would get up there and start arguing, I'm blended learning and you're not. And what the heck is the point of that? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just all call it blended learning. Let's say this is not like just beaming online curriculum from a smart board is not blended learning. Right. Or just recording yourself flipping your class. Right. Just recording your, just, you know, and giving students no control over the time, place, path, pace. Let's say those aren't blended. And now let's say this is, and let's just talk about what, what we can do with it to actually personalize the learning. And so that's the other big thing that I think separates some of our definition from other stuff is to us, blended learning is a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a thing you do to, we hope, personalize learning and create a student-centered experience for every single child. Mm-hmm. 
it's a thing that you do. And it doesn't mean just because you're doing blended that you're doing all those other things. And where do the teachers fit into that? Because you spoke on the panel today about autonomy. So I'm wondering, yeah. you've, you've addressed student autonomy. What about the teacher autonomy? Yeah, element? I think teacher autonomy is critical mm. for, um, for this to work. And there, there's two dimensions of it, right? So one is the, 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 the ability of an individual teacher to move to that station rotation, flip classroom, which I think is an entry level, you know, way to get into gateway drug. Sort of blended uh, learning 100. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's not even one-on-one, right? And, uh, <laughs> but, but it's to get into it, right? And for teachers just to be able to make that move, mm -hmm. super important because it starts to give controls to their students. It starts to, for them to develop their ideas of what this experience looks like and mm -hmm. so forth and develop very different skill sets from the ones that they've been honing over their years as a traditional teacher, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other thing I think is really important is teams of teachers coming together to mm. shape these environments in more radical ways. Interesting. Like you start to bring three teachers in a grade span together, say they knock down the walls between their classrooms or they're in a modular school environment, they mm. can open up it. And then all of a sudden they can do really different things with their groups of students than they could ever do before. One of them maybe loves to geek out on data. Mm -hmm. Another one really loves to do small group instruction and tutoring. They don't really like to deal with data. Mm -hmm. Well, great. We have a teacher who loves the data, who's helping feed me the right students at the right time, and I can, you know, practice my craft in the way I want. And awesome opportunities to recognize each other, support each other, mm -hmm. things that we deprive to teachers of too often right now in the current system. But haven't teachers been doing that for years? You know, cross-grade level planning or, you know, if you get a bunch of sixth-grade science teachers all together planning together. Do you think that that hasn't been as prevalent as people might think? I think it's been a bit part of it, but I think blended learning is the opportunity to put that on steroids. Oh, I see. And like amp it up, right? So um, planning is one thing, but actually teaching in an environment together where mm -hmm. like every single minute we're bouncing off each other and jumping off and like we have the same students in common, that's a really different experience. You go to Summit Public Schools in California, that's the sort of interactions you're seeing where mm -hmm. teachers are it's not just like, oh, we have a planning period three times a week where we get together and we really work through this stuff. This is like we're actually co-teaching in, in a really dynamic environment. So, as you probably know, a lot of our readers are edtech entrepreneurs. A yes. lot of our listeners are edtech entrepreneurs. And I look at some products and I think to myself, if I were a teacher, I would never use this in the classroom because it doesn't seem like it would make anything that much easier for mm -hmm. me. So with the definition of blended learning that you just gave, what advice do you have to entrepreneurs for how they should design their products to support that student autonomy? Yeah, so think about the learning model, right? Because I, I think you just nailed it, which is that if your ed tech product is gonna create more work for teachers and students, mm -hmm. just start with teachers, like it's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. and think about the learning model. Like, how is it actually gonna be used? If, if you're trying to uh, create an ed tech product for the traditional classroom, mm -hmm. I wish you would help push the envelope, but that's okay. Like, there's, we should be improving the current classroom too. Mm -hmm. um, anything that creates additional work streams, not gonna fly. Mm -hmm. Understand how teachers actually use time, students actually use time, and if you're creating more work, don't bother, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we've seen a lot of products over the years, do that. Can you um, think of an example that sort of comes to mind? I, I, I hate calling out products, but uh, I'll, I'll do I mean, Time to Know is something that we got a lot of attention a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It was out of um, Israel, I believe, and um, super interesting premise behind it. Mm -hmm. um, like, don't want to dismiss that, but it created a lot of extra work for teachers having to, like, stitch together individual plans for each student, and that's a lot of additional things you were now doing. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll give you another one. I think wireless generation before they were acquired by News Corp and became Amplify, 
the reason that they had their first home run um, of their uh, uh, Dibble's assessment product was it saved teachers a ton of time. It took something that they were already doing, assessing reading, and made it so much easier and simpler and more reliable mm-hmm. and, um, and simplified it. And it was an absolute home run. Mm-hmm. I think some of their subsequent products have not thought about that actual learning model and have actually made work harder mm-hmm. in some ways. And so you got to be really intentional about that. Now, as we talk about a blended learning world, what the teacher's doing might be different. Mm-hmm. They're not lesson planning and delivering one lesson for all students. So those workflows and what you're trying to help them save time on and make their lives easier, not harder, changes a little bit. And so you have to think about your product differently. And by the way, you might actually have to coach the teachers who are going to use it and say, this isn't going to work in a traditional classroom environment. It's going to create more work. But in this sort of environment, it you know it's more possible uh, to, to help you and benefit your students. Mm-hmm. But really think about that learning model piece and don't be so wed to just one learning model is the last thing I'd say because uh, there are math products that will go out there and say like well if you implement it in exactly you know 100 instructional minutes per week then yeah. you get these results and whatever else and you're like I don't have 100 instructional minutes you're like what yeah like I can't do that and yep. so um recognize that it's not going to be the same model in every school and and be flexible enough to operate in multiple models, Mm -hmm. but be cognizant of that piece of it and like how teachers use time. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. That's it for today. Thanks to Michael Horn for chatting with us about his book and blended learning and for joining us in the fight against ed tech jargon. And thanks also to Kay DeVere, Paul France, Chris Aviles, and all the other writers who contributed to Ed Surge this week. We couldn't do this without you. And hey, it's been a while since we've mentioned this. Have you checked out our jobs board recently? We've got hundreds of jobs from hundreds of schools, districts, and ed tech companies. If you're searching for a job in education, we've got one for you. Or if you're trying to hire someone, you should post with us as soon as possible. Shoot us an email at feedback at edsurge.com. And we also want to send a big hello to Mary Jo. Hi, Mary Jo. Hey, Mary Jo. She's currently out there enjoying some well-earned vacation in her hometown, or new hometown, actually, in Chicago. Love that picture of you at the Cubs game this week. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening to this show. Because of you, August was our best month yet on this podcast. Hey, didn't we say that about July, too? Uh, We did. And uh, guess what? It's been a good run over the last couple of months. Hey, (laughs) help us keep good things going. Keep listening. Hit that subscribe button. And uh, maybe uh, tell a friend. All right. I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Betsy Corcoran. We'll see you next week. This is the Ed Surge Podcast.